Hi, welcome back to Casters of Valhalla. This is your host, Orkel Army One, Mike Schober. Joining me tonight is Ken. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. Also with us is our buddy, Nathan. Hey, how's it going? All right, and so today we're going to be talking about Bonding Melee and specifically how to play Bonding Melee, what Bonding Melee is really as well, and then how to play against it. So we're going to start off by talking about generic Bonding Melee tips and how to get better with it, how to play well, how to win games with Bonding Melee. And then we're going to dive into the five main Bonding Melee armies of the top tier, which are going to be um, the Knights and Heavies. Then you also have the Dwarves, the Romans, and the Death Chasers. We're not going to be talking about the lower tier Bonding Melee, such as Grubs and Sacred Band and Spiders, just because they're really not... They're not, they're not quite up to snuff for competitive play, and quite frankly, there's a lot to talk about just with this much. And the last, the last thing to note is we won't be talking about green scales as bonding melee. They're going to be part of a future episode where we talk about range plus screen, because in, that, in, in a green scale build, like green scales nil time, you're really focusing on Nilfheim to do your damage output. The green skills are there to buy him extra time and keep him safe. And that's really the same with all the dragons except for Charos. And then with Charos, you're in the same boat as the Sacred Band, where he's just not really up to snuff for competitive play. So from there, first of all, just what what is bonding melee? Bonding melee is just you have a you have your squad, you got some generally one to two, maybe three max bonding heroes. And Bonding Melee is a tougher type of army to play in general than your generic um, bread and butter range because it focuses a lot more on positioning, a lot more on the strategy of the game. You have to go in with a much more solid game plan to make Bonding Melee work. And for myself and for Ken especially, the two of us, this is kind of what we do is we play Bonding Melee. I know for me um, growing up, it was like, Ken was the guy I always looked up to because he pretty much single-handedly invented Bonding Melee back in the day. Ken, was anybody really playing Bonding Melee back then? You know, not to the extent that I was. You know, when I first started playing Heroescape, it took me a little bit to kind of get there. Like, I think one of my very first ever tournament armies, I even had, like, Crab Agents and, like, two squads of Fourth Mass. But in my defense, like, I didn't own very many units, so I didn't have a lot to choose from. My first tree town open, I did like I went horrible like two and four, and I had a couple squads of knights, Alistair, and I don't remember what else I had, but I just got rolled. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot in that first tree town, and I actually won the next year. But um, just watching the units and 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 what started clicking in my head was like, you know, these knights are really good, but I only had two squads of them, and I had Alistair, and then Gilbert. I think Gilbert came out somewhere around there too, so like that obviously helped quite a bit with the knights. Basically, what I learned was if you have a crap ton of knights or a crap ton of heavies or doors or whatever and a couple bonding bonding heroes, one or two, you can usually outlast your opponent. Yeah, I think that's one of the hallmarks of bonding melee, and I think especially knights. They can just kind of grind out your opponent. If you're some playing against five squads of knights, that's five figure, or that's 20 figures that all have four defense. And it doesn't really matter how strong your opponent's army is. That, that's just going to take time, and that's going to be difficult. And if you play it right, that gives you a lot of opportunities to make some big plays and start using those four attack or order markers that really is the hallmark of finding melee. We talked about the five elite ones that we're going to talk about today. And heavies, knights, 
dwarves, and Romans all are four-man bonding, which means they can be up to five attacks per order marker. So they can really grind you down, and then you can use their advantages to kind of overcome some of their limitations, which is the lack of range. Yeah, and like when I started playing locally, you know, what's funny is like in Nebraska, so I started playing melee, melee, melee in like Kansas City and then up in Minnesota a little bit. So then everybody was kind of starting to kind of react into that melee a little bit earlier than the rest of the Heroescape players. Because I remember when I went to Gen Con, I think the only other person that was even close to playing like all melee was Man Train Choo Choo, my best friend. And we actually had super similar armies in the main event. I actually ended up did beat him in the, I don't know, day two. I don't remember like what, what round it was. But it was a super close. And it was actually, a, I think if I remember correctly, it was a pretty big initiative switch where I was able to get high on his grim neck and kind of take him down in uh, one round. I would, I would love to say it's all me. But like I also think around that same time, the, the maps kind of got a little bit more friendly. Gilbert came out. Like the jungle set came out. That was a big deal. Some fool put me on the BOV. I only okayed maps on the BOV that were, um, you know, melee friendly. Um, and that was actually Dignan, I think, that was the one that suggested me for the BOV. So he's not really a fool. He's a good guy. I would love to say it was all me, but I think there was a couple things going on at the same time. More melee units were coming out. You know, I really liked the Knights, so the Knights were melee, and that's kind of where it started. Sure. And I would, I would definitely say, though, that a lot of those were probably reactionary. Like, before before you started and other people like Mantrain, uh, before you guys started showing that melee was viable, I don't think anybody really cared that maps weren't melee-friendly because nobody was even playing melee at that point, right? So it's like, if, if a map's not friendly to Templar Cavalry, nobody's ever going to care because nobody's ever played Temple, Templar Cavalry, right? So it's... It's that type of thing where, like, if everybody's playing ranged and the maps work well for ranged matches, which is kind of what the early maps were, then that's fine because that's what people are playing, you know? Um, well, just look at the early BOV. Like, all of those maps are just death traps for melee. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't want to get too big into maps now. We're definitely, that's going to be something we talk about later for sure, is like the evolution of maps and uh, evolution of BOV specifically uh, because you look at the first couple BOV maps, you look at the last couple and you're seeing a very different picture. Anyways, like Ken kind of knows what he's talking about a little bit with bonding melee, which is why I'm really excited to have him on. And the Nathan's just phenomenal player also and great with bonding melee too. So uh, I think, I think we got a good cast for you guys tonight and any last words before we dive right in. Has anybody licked any doorknobs? Only a couple, but they were at my house. I figured it was fine. Okay, just checking. Let's start off with just real quick. We've talked about this before. Why is bonding good? Bonding, you know, Ken, you mentioned here, like the attrition game. You have so many figures that are so high defense. Like that's that's really my big takeaway with bonding melee over other squads is like you don't need Raylan to back them because they naturally are higher defense in general. Um, I mean, you have exceptions, of course, but like you look at Knights and four defense, constant and it's just really hard to kill 24 defense knights and Gilbert has four defense with six life. And really, really the stats on those heroes is incredible. Even Marcus, only three defense, but he's got six life still. Mogrim, two defense, tough, six life. Like Grimnak, four defense, five life. It's just really tough to kill bonding melee. The other big thing is the the five activations or with, with the four big ones outside of, outside of Death Chasers, the rest of them, five activations is insane. And 
you're you're getting such value on those bonding turns too. Like there's too many situations to bring up now, but like you can kill somebody with your bonding hero, uh, and then now you freed up that space. Like especially with Grimnak heavies, which is my main army is like I'm playing against somebody that's trying to screen while well, I disengage with my heavies, and I also have chomp with Grimnak. So like I move Grimnak up, chomp somebody, and now I slip right through with heavies, tie up whatever was trying to stay protected. So it's you get into really really silly situations with bonding melee and the two separate turns is really powerful. Um, any glaring holes there? Or? No, I, I think another thing to think about too a lot is especially the ones you're talking about. Um, Sands, I mean, but the death chasers even more so, but every squad you mentioned has a base attack of three. That's mm. just their normal base attack. Right. And you look at, you look at all the range squads minus stingers. There's not, they're not base attack is in three. So this per cost, the stat wise for melee is just so much stronger as a general rule than the stat cost for a ranged unit. Sure, ranged units can get height easier or whatever, and there's a lot of things to play into that. But like you know, Romans cost twelve and a half points per figure for three attack dice. Like that's ridiculous. There's nothing anywhere close on the other side. I mean, the other side's got a fourth mass that are what? Uh, crap, math is hard. Seventeen and a half points. And they're only attacking for two. And I don't think there's anything cheaper than that, the fourth mass. Is there? Am I missing anything, fellas? Ashigaro. Yeah. Oh, Ar- Ar- Okay, fair enough. But like we can kind of discount those to an extent when we're talking. They're not gonna they're not gonna play very well into heavy or knight and stuff like that. And then the knights have four defense just all the time. The Romans can get up to four defense. Heavies have base three defense. If they're and if they got one of their shenanigans with Grimnak, Tornak, Nirak, they're up to four defense. Which if you're playing them, you should be playing at least Grimnak and Nirak. And then you have the, the the axe grinders who have a base of three, but then they can move six. So like they they outrange those guys to an extent. So it's just like those four, you know, like the stat their stat bases are just so much better than the range unit stat base. And that's the other thing I noticed as I was playing them. I was like. Wait a minute. I get way more money for my points in this one unit than all these guys, all these little melee range lovers out here, than they do. So if I can just, you know, we talked about Nathan and um, Michael earlier about, like, I can just weather the storm or outlast. I can win this pretty easily. Yeah. And real quick on heavies, you said they base three. Heavies, you have to look at more like they're base four and oftentimes five defense. Like, they're they're not base three. That stat on their card is a lie. <laughs> I mean, from time. I mean, like if you got to run up and engage a crab or something, they can be base three. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's few and far between. They're basically knights for base four. It's just you have to invest another fifty points into another bonding hero to get them there. But I mean, we'll talk about that more in their specific builds, right? Another thing I was going to say that makes that not really talked about as much that makes bonding melee good is for people who don't know, maybe haven't been to Gen Con. There's usually six maps or six glyphs in the map pool. Because everybody knows that there's some wonky glyphs like range plus four and stuff that you would never play. And a lot of the times if you're playing, say, just like against fourth mass or stingers, you'll be you'll there'll be glyphs that don't help you. There'll be the heal glyph and unique attack glyph. But with bonding melee, you get I mean, the move plus two is just absolutely phenomenal with you, but you do have unique attack glyph and you do have heal glyph that are in play that is not in play for non-bonding melee, and it's not in play for range. So it's always good when you're sitting down in a game and you don't have just dead glyphs. That's just never something you want. Yeah, and I mean, and to follow this along, and Nathan, I think you probably said this before on a podcast, but like, you know, 
with bonding melee, you can knock a dude off a glyph with your hero and then take the glyph with your squad squad unit, which nobody else really can do. I mean, there's probably a couple units here and there that have some shenanigans they can do, like Warforge and stuff. But, like, as a general, you can't really do that in, in the same turn. Yeah, it's incredibly potent. Those right there are just a bunch of really generic, just kind of like why why we all think bonding melee is really good. I know Ken and I both think that bonding melee is the strongest of all the archetypes. Uh, Nathan, what do you think on that? Uh, they're up there. I mean, you, there's clearly elite. The knights and heavies are clearly in the top two and can really go to head-to-head with anything. And speaking kind of backtracking a little bit about how much they progressed, I've seen some old threads and um, I think the powering threads where I think the heavies were either B or B-. And now that's just a ludicrous statement. Pretty much everybody I've seen of like Cleon, Veggies, Doc Powering, they have them at A. You can make a case they're A minus. I definitely disagree, but nobody's putting them below A minus at the absolute bottom. So they're, they're clearly some of the best armies in the game. You can't You're make welcome. a case that they're You're A minus. You're welcome. It's a bad case. It's I a really bad case. It's a very bad case, but you could make you could make it. You can't make a case just B plus though. Yeah, but you gotta understand, guys, when I was doing that nine years ago, that's a Wait, nine years ago? What year is this? Twelve years ago? Whatever. When I was doing that, that's what people thought. They really did. They didn't understand the power of melee. Like, I, like they didn't, they didn't get it. I, and like, that's the way it used to be. Like, you guys missing, you guys missed out on that, for better and for worse. I think for better. I grinded so many games with bonding melee back, back in the day. Well, and again, to clarify, my back in the day is like 2011, 2012, 2013 playing tons and tons of games with heavies Grimnak, just ludicrous amounts trying to get good. And I never, never had any desire to do that with fourth mass or Q9. Uh, I think I've played probably two tournament games with Q9 in my entire life in two four by fours. And I just, I find heavies so engaging and knights too, of course, and dwarves. I played a lot more, uh, dwarves than heavies probably in the last couple of years just because i played so much heavies in my life and i don't know that i would have been as like like if i had started playing competitively and my choices and let's say i wasn't good enough because like so so whenever you start a new game right like you go through phases and like the first phase is you're trying to figure out what the meta is so you figure out the meta then you have to figure out like how do i play the meta like i have to get good with the meta I have to get good just, like, generically. So, like, already that's years. And then you have to figure out how to beat the meta. And it's, like, before you can figure out how to beat the meta with, like, heavies, it's the first to figure out how to play, which means you're playing a bunch of games with range. And it's, like, I don't know that I would have been willing to grind all those games with fourth mass, so, uh, or Stingers or Aerogruts even. I, I, I like Aerogruts, but not enough to play just the dozens of games that would have re- would have required me to. So, yeah, I mean, I think... I think it's a big positive that there's so much diversity. Like, a new player jumping in now can play one of, what, like, nine or ten top armies. And sure, there are similarities between some of them. Like, there's obviously fourth and tenth. There are big similarities between um, heavies and knights. There are similarities between. But there's there's definitely plenty of nuanced differences. And you, you really compare HeroScape to a lot of other competitive games. You know, I've, I've played a bunch of competitive games over my life at this point. And most of them are not this diverse. They, they just aren't at the, at the top of tables. Like, like you look at X-Wing, X-Wing is usually not, not that diverse. Um, it, it's gotten better with second edition, but especially like end of first edition, you had like 
two or three lists you could bring and that was it like like imagine if instead of having like 10 lists across four archetypes now we have like heavies or q9 rats or 10th and it's like you can only bring those three you're not allowed to bring anything else like you just don't have a shot you you might three three with something that's not one of those three armies that's just not fun so like i think i think that's one of the great things about hero escape is people sometimes complained about like the cheese environment but it's like the cheese environment for hero escape is just so much better than the cheese environment for so many other games i know that was kind of tangential but uh i guess bring it all back thank you ken for letting me play heavies a bunch no problem. So and even in those, um, you talk about like we're saying heavy is nice dwarves, but you have to understand there's also a lot of variation. Just even in a heavy build, everybody's kind of got their different opinions or different things they like with which bonding heroes to take, especially something like Romans who have something like six or seven or something. So even within any of these specific archetypes, there's quite a bit of variation, and some play kind of similar but some depending on what heroes they can play pretty dra- dramatically differently just to clarify that to go even further nathan i think like specifically what what we're talking about right now and correct me if i'm wrong fellas but like we're talking about specifically like just straight up melee bonding like we're not throwing in morrow warriors we're not throwing in crab we're not throwing in um Nilf- Nilfheim or whatever this goes against probably every uh, every bone in everybody's body except mine is like most of these we're not playing raylan with them like we're just going straight up without Ray. Like the knights don't don't want Raylan. The heavies generally don't want Raylan. The dwarves definitely don't want Raylan. There can be made. There can be definitely arguments made for Romans and Death Chasers, and I think we'll get that to some point later. But like a lot of those armies, they don't they don't want Raylan because they want to they want that flexibility of movement on the battlefield, and I think Raylan limits that. So so like this almost goes against like what everybody's. You know, when, when everybody's making a 500-point army, they're really doing a 420-point army. You know, and I think, like, bonding melee really changes that in lots of different ways. What do you guys think? Definitely. And we'll, we'll talk specifically about the, um, you know, in a little bit, we'll talk specifically about the differences between Romans with Raylan and Romans without and Death Chasers with and Death Chasers without. I don't think there's any any doubt that the best heavies, the best knights, and the best dwarves are not with Raylan. I think there are arguments to be made for both sides for Romans and Death Chasers, but for the top three melee squads, don't bring Raylan. And that's also a refreshing thing because in so many other builds, the top builds do include Raylan. And so that's like, it goes back to the thing too with, uh, I don't want to get started on this, but like the whole, oh, she's she's bacon. She goes great with everything. She's an A plus because she's great with everything. Like, no, she doesn't. Like, no, she makes knights worse. Like she makes dwarves worse. Like you're you're making your builds worse if you include Raylan. Now we know why we're bringing bonding melee, right? We've we've outlined some basic like just like the advantages why why we want to play it. Um, let's let's move to so we go to our tournament, right? We're we're bringing our bonding melee, whatever one it is, and we'll we'll jump more these more into these specifically, of course, in just a little bit. But first, like. I sit down at a table, right? Like, what what am I looking at here? Okay, so the first thing I do is I look at my opponent's army and figure out like what's the archetype, right? So like if I'm sitting down with uh, heavies, my opponent has knights, so okay, we got bonding melee versus bonding melee, and there are a lot of you know we can't we can't cover every single matchup possible here, but we'll we'll cover those and we'll cover some of the basic stuff in a little bit. For now, like. How do we set up? So, like, I'll, I'll give my setup first. Just, like, how do I just put my figures on the board? Which is something nobody talks about. But, 
I mean, it's, it's really important to know how you want to set up. Okay. So how do I set up? Well, I first figure out like, where do I want my bonding hero to be after X amount of turns? Right. So it's like, I figure out where I want to be on this map based on a couple factors. So I'm like, I'm looking at this map and I'm like, okay, I want him up on this, whatever perch or whatever, you know, and I'm also figuring out like, what does my opponent want to do? Where are they going to be? Where is this engagement going to happen? So where you place your bonding hero in your starting zone should be in a spot where it's going to make it easiest to, for him to get to the place you want him to get to, while also not being in the way of your dudes, right? So like you can really screw yourself with placements just during setup if like you don't think ahead, right? You've got to think ahead when you sit down with your bonding army. So so generally what I do is like, okay, I want I want Grimnak's first move to be from here in my start zone to up here. And so I'll math it out and I'll know exactly where I want him to land and then I'll put him in the start zone correctly. And that's just kind of my basic, most basic advice on how to set up. Like, don't just put your bonding hero at the very front of the start zone. Like, sometimes that makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. Maximize your moves because if you have Grimnak at the, start, at the front of the start zone, but he's only going to move three spaces... He could be two spaces back, which means that those two heavies that were behind him are now in front of him. What that means is later on, those heavies are closer to the front. It means they're going to be able to get into the battle later. And it's all these all these small optimizations you have to do with bonding melee during setup over the course of the game as you develop. And we'll talk about developing in a second, but I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on setting up the bonding melee armies. Yeah, so I um, agree in spirit with a lot of that, but I definitely have my own... Uh, take on that. I think what you kind of hit at with don't put Grimnak in front because he's only going to move three spaces is true for your squaddies. It's also true for if you're playing range or anything. If in two turns you want to get to a base and it's eight spaces away, you don't move up five spaces your front guy starting zone and the next turn you move in two spaces. That's a waste. You find the farthest guy back in the starting zone that can make where you want to get to in two turns to get there. And I think especially, like, we'll take the example of Grimnak. If you want to be in space in two or three turns, I think that's um, you have to place for that. But you also have to look at, can you dictate the battlefield? So if you really want a Grimnak on this great height perch, but he's you, the, your opponent can just develop on the other side and just, like, shoot across the ravine, that might not be good. So you really have to think, where do I want this battle to take place? But also, can I make the battle go over there. And also when you place down, it's good to have multiple places that your bonding hero can go to. So he's in a position where I can go here, or maybe I can go here, and that's just reacting to what your opponent does. So you're in a good place that have lots of options based on what your opponent do and dictate the battlefield. Definitely, yeah. Those are those are definitely good points. Yeah, I'm definitely looking at like where my opponent's going to be. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into like understanding a map and how to know where your opponent's going to want to be uh well definitely that's something that took me years and years to learn so we'll, we'll cover that later for sure uh at later at a later date and i i definitely agree to an extent about the multiple options to go but at the same time usually you can have your first round set before knowing where your opponent's going right especially like if if, if we're playing it's one thing if you're playing like the splash armies we like to play, but like if you're playing bonding melee into fourth mass, like 
you know where at the end of that first round you're pretty much going to have all your people like like you can definitely plan ahead quite a bit with bonding melee and you you pretty much can know like i want grimnak at this spot and it's definitely not like as simple as putting him on a perch or whatever because he's not a raylan of course but like you know like the places you want him to be and you just want to you're just trying to maximize moves and definitely we'll talk about development in just a second um i want to hear ken's thoughts though if he has any on setting up like especially setting up knights because he's a big knights guy no, I mean, like you guys have already basically said the same thing. Uh, maximize your movement. If a guy needs, you know, don't move a guy four if the guy behind him can move five. I mean, glyphs do play a part of it too, right? Like if there's a move glyph and you have knights, or I mean, really, if you have any melee bonding, like I would say almost any glyph on the board, the move glyph is the most important for melee bonding. Sure, the attack glyph is pretty powerful, and you may want to keep the range units off the attack glyph because that really, that really, um, evens out the battlefield for range versus melee. And so you want, it's not like you necessarily need it as much as they do, but you don't want them to have it. Um, but minus those two glyphs, like I'm not sure any of the other ones are as important as those two. So like if, if either one of those glyphs are on the battlefield, sometimes that can also dictate where you want to go and you just set up accordingly about, you know, making sure, you know, if you're fighting fourth mass, you want to make sure that you're seven spaces away, you know, all, all that good stuff that you guys have already kind of talked about i mean nothing i don't think it's anything too uh extravagant i don't either but i think i think just like thinking about where you want to be before you place your figures is just a good habit to be into it's definitely not like the deepest thing in the world but it's just i mean you, you really want to get into that habit of doing that even if you're not playing bonding melee like it's pretty much any any army where you have more than just one single type of figure like if all you have is fourth mass times a gazillion then you don't really have to think that much about how you set up because you're just putting all the fourth mass down, right? But, like, you want to be thinking about where you want to try to get to and, like, what, what your plan is here, so, like, where you set up. But, yeah, let's let's move on to development, which is a lot more interesting. And I think, I, like, so I've seen a lot of games and people just aren't aren't great at developing. And developing basically, like, can determine a game in and of itself how how you play the opening two rounds can just lose you a game and you know you can bring in dice or whatever but it's just that's just kind of the way it is like i i used to lose tons and tons of games during developing because i didn't know what i was doing was wrong and i mean i still lose games develop when i misdevelop and that's just the nature of the game so so when you're developing Bond and Melee, you want to be developing up your whole army. I, I've i railed on this on the podcast before, but basically don't charge across the map with one bonding hero and one squad. Like It's not going to work. The reason it doesn't work is the whole point of Bonding Melee, you're abusing your superior stats. The other the whole point is you're getting four or five attacks per order marker consistently. You know, with Knights, you don't have to get four attacks, but we'll talk about that, or five attacks rather, but we'll talk about that more later. Um you're trying to get consistent amounts of attacks. And the only way to do that is if you have guys there to resupply when they die. And I think that's one of the things where range is just easier to play because you don't have to move up as far. You're shooting from a farther distance. So like they, they crash into your range. You can move somebody up out of your start zone. They they might immediately be able to take a shot. Like maybe it's a shot up, but you're still getting that shot. You're still getting that attack on that order marker. Whereas Bonnie Melee, if I charge all the across all the way across the map with like Tornak and a squad of heavies and then Tornak dies. Well, now Grimnak's all the way back in my start zone. Or maybe I don't even have another bonding hero and now I've lost my one bonding hero. Or I've run across, they killed the one squad of heavies and now I have Tornak up there. It's like, okay, well, my my next squad of heavies is way in the back. So 
that's the first big thing is never, never, never run across the map with just one squad and the bonding hero. Like, it doesn't make sense. Um, my next general piece of advice is usually in the early rounds, you don't need to bond with your hero every turn. Like, you, you're allowed to not move a figure. So if I have four heavies Grimnak at 500 or 400, let's say, I can move Grimnak up once in that first turn, maybe scoot him up a little bit the second turn. And that third turn, I'm allowed to just say he's good where he is. And that seems like it's a simple thing, but you don't need to move five with Grimnak just because he has five moves. Because that's my second, like, big tip that I see a lot of people. Like, they, they, it's kind of like, oh, I'm activating this figure, so I have to move him somewhere. It's like, no, if he's in the place you want him to be at that point, just just chill. And uh, my third big tip is uh, that develop up the backmost figure to the point where you're trying to go, right? So, like, I'm trying to get to this point at the map, let's say, or I just want to get everybody up. So the way I generally approach this is I move whoever's farthest back in my start zone. Because what that means is if they if they screw up and run across the board at me, I can punish really hard. Why? They've killed my frontmost figure, which was my backmost figure, which means my frontmost figures can just come up and swarm them if they were to do that. So like you're just keeping it more you think of it like almost as a blob. You're keeping everybody mostly together, barring like lifts, barring other certain, you know, scenarios. Let's say they run up Mara Warriors, you gotta go engage those Mara Warriors because or like Krav, if they screw up and run up Krav, like you and you have a chance to get on the Krav and can just kill them, like just do it. But like just just think about moving up the backmost to that point. Or like if if it's a two hills map and I have a wide start zone, right? Like it's like a two by it's like a two by twelve, and my point I'm trying to get to is on my right side. I'll move my left side first, not my right side. Why? They kill if I move up my right guys first and then they die it's going to be a longer slog for those guys all the way over on the left to get all the way over. So those are kind of my, my big things with developing bonding melee. Do you guys have any thoughts on that or? Yeah, I think um, your point about moving up the back and keeping up a lot is important. And it's usually, it's a, it's a great strategy and it's important to know that and usually do a variation of that. But the one weakness is if you do are too slow in development, you risk that you're not um, threatening any space. So it's a lot matchup dependent. So if you're not, if there's a important hill and you're not threatening it, or they might have to be able to just not scare, they might move up Raylan a little farther, they might move Krav up a little farther, these kind of fragile figures that they usually have to protect. But if you're too passive, then your um, opponent can exploit it. So I think you have to usually slope like blob or we, we I don't know if we want to stuff it's like kind of slow roll move up your units in map in mass, but also keep an eye and make sure that you're threatening your opponent enough that they at least have to start thinking about your placement, and that's just extremely matchup and map dependent. But it's just important to have that thought about what am I balancing developing plus balancing threaten, and even um like one or two like knights in a situation or heavies can sometimes do well to threaten. Unless, of course, you're playing against like range commons, maybe you're not threatening as much because they don't really care because all their pieces are the same and pretty cheap, so you're not threatening as much. So again, just map and matchup dependent, but it's another thing to think about. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I was thinking more just like gen- generic advice. Um, that's that's very matchup dependent. I guess look at the archetypes. I it definitely might threaten a couple of like, for example, if you have if you have one really important figure backed by a screen and they overextend, you can definitely punish them a little harder. 
um, if you have people farther up in threatening positions, as you said. And then the map thing, most maps, I at least most modern maps, I don't think it's quite as big of a deal. If a map's good, it's probably not quite as big of a deal, is my thought on that. I don't know. You mean a, a map is good as in, like, not... Not, a, not your like whole mind. Okay, yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, when I say threaten, I'm not saying just maybe move up, overextend. You got, you have to do it safely, of course, because you don't want to, you know, move up a couple things right in front of your start zone. You move, like, a heavy that's four spaces back in the start zone and barely peek out, and then you just, like, throw one in the front five spaces forward and just to get just to get sniped and doesn't do anything. So it's, um, I think, uh, it's a balancing act win and how to do it. And if you can do it safely, it could be beneficial to give you that flexibility. But, again, in a lot of maps and... We're not going to go to a die in the weeds, but sometimes, or, you know, it does not really work sometimes, but sometimes it does. So it's important to keep all, um, like, have the wide breadth of what your strategy could be, because really, and then picking the situational times that might only work if you go to a tournament one of the games, but the one game you incorporate that strategy, it wins you it. I think that's a, a lot of what, um, coming playing more games just having like more tools in the tool belt more like little situational tactics yeah yeah i th- i think that's one of the limitations of this format too it, this pot you know the audio only format is it is tough to like just go ahead and show some of these examples where that might happen um it's very situational. It's the type of thing where you kind of have to just see it. And we'll talk about, we're definitely going to talk about like threatening later on for sure. Like at later date, like strong plays, like how do you threaten people? Um, These, those are really important concepts and they're a little more theoretical than um, just like generic developing. Um, Ken, any thoughts on developing? I mean, I echo what you guys have said. Uh, Slow roll is super important. Remember that uh, cost-wise, as a general rule, like even with the Ashigaro, what are they, 15 points a figure, and the Romans are 12 and a half, so you're still like like so if you lose one or two as you're moving up and developing, as long as you're staying cohesive and you're still able to um, replace him that's destroyed, if you need to if you need to take control of a situation, you can take control of a situation. But, like, you know, just keep all those things in mind. But, like, it's okay if one or two of your units die as you're getting there, especially if you're fighting some sort of uh, range threat. Because cause your your goal is to overwhelm when the time is right. And uh, it's okay if one or two guys die. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? Definitely. There's a big patience curve in this game. That's That's what, been one of my takeaways of the past decade playing it is, like, being patient really pays off. And oftentimes I see people, they start to slow roll. And then as soon as they take that first casualty, as soon as they take that first hit on their bonding hero, boom, we're off to the races. We're charging. It's like if, if all you've done is slow roll a little bit and then charge across the map with one squad and one hero, once you get shot at once, there wasn't a whole lot of point behind the slow roll in the first place, right? You just have to be so patient I guess one other – so you also used the phrase earlier, weather of the storm, which I, which I think is a really good way to look at it and basically say I'm going to take some losses. You have to go into the matchup, though, especially into, like, range commons or whatever, or, like, if somebody's super high range, let's say it's, like, Krav or Q9. It's like, okay, I'm going to take a couple losses before before I even get in a single attack this game, and I just have to be okay with that, you know? And one, one other 
small thing I think with developing is one a, a good way to know that you're doing it right in general is that you're not using somebody until you've used like you you're not using one a squatty that's moved up until you've moved everybody else up as well right so like sometimes you do double move somebody in the first round to get them to like a threatening position to get them in like a good blocking spot or to like claim this height or claim this glyph or like there are so many situations right and in general though like if if i have 12 dwarves in my start zone general like if if my first three moves are four dwarves up then the next four dwarves. Why, up. why do you only have th- twelve dwarves instead of sixteen or twenty? Because it's more convenient to yeah, my three round. Like, like, did you already did you already lose some to Zellrig? I'm trying to figure out what happened here. <laughs> Airborne. Oh, okay. No, okay, fine. I have sixteen dwarves in Mogram. Like, uh, generally, my first round is probably I move up Mogram and four dwarves four, and then I move up four dwarves six and then I move up four more dwarves six like usually you know sometimes I might double move somebody maybe I have to move Mogram a second time in that first round but probably not I mean strategic bonding for six moves is insane so um and we'll, we'll get into that after but that's just kind of a general rule I think on playing playing bonding melees like if, if you don't use somebody until you've already if you don't use somebody again until you've already used everybody once you're probably doing it right and I will say, like, when you talk about, like, where you want to go on a map, like, for real, I said this once already, but, like, the move glyph for bonding melee is probably the most important glyph there is for the, for, for melee. Like, they need – if they have that – if they have that movement glyph, like, the whole range thing is – all. I don't want to say it's eliminated because that's not true, but, like, it's so much easier to deal with if you can if you can close the gap on every turn or almost close the gap on every turn minus, like, some – crazy hill that you have to climb like it it helps so much and it would and yeah i don't i don't know how else to say that with how else to stress how important that is but like the move glyph for for bonding melees i would say like um the year i had my dwarves i think i had the move glyph like anytime the move glyph was on the board i had it and if you have eight move dwarves like i don't even know what you have like you don't have a chance i mean really you don't unless it's 45 squads of warriors of ashra like you do not have a chance if you have eight eight move dwarves yeah i mean it just scales so incredibly well if you you got 10 figures or five figures at a turn they each get plus two move that's actually 10 spaces you're moving i mean when you put it like that that's the same i mean you know two squad two heavies you move 10 spaces together well, I mean, it's not that's not part well, of the analog even, but so then you throw in gilbert's dispatch and you're like dude i just covered the whole board yeah, six move night with Gilbert is um, one of the biggest weaknesses is their lack of mobility, and Gilbert plus move glyphs just turns them into not only mobile but just like exceedingly mobile. And if we don't want to get, get just knights, I mean right now, I mean they dispatch allows you to move four from the back. If we're talking about development, you just develop your back figures plus activate four others. You can develop and attack at the same time, kind of zombie-esque. Well, I mean, yeah, you can even do stupid stuff with water, stupid stuff with disengagement strikes. Yeah. Like the, the amount of things that Gilbert allows you to do, it's so hard for your opponent to try and plan around, too, because he's like, oh, crap, how many spaces should I stay back? Because what if he rolls four for his dispatch? You know, like it just changes to the point, the, the point that your opponent's like, well, I guess this is the best I got, considering I'm not really sure what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why I think knights, I'm on the knights are better than slightly better than heavies. 
One of the reasons is, I mean, if Gilbert rolls yeah. one, <laughs> if Gilbert rolls one for Jandar's dispatch the entire game, he's still absolutely phenomenal and will do so much for your army. But one critical three or four at the right time can just win you the game. And I've had, I don't play knights as much, or I don't play melee bonding as much as these guys, but I've definitely lost and won games on some crazy Jandar's dispatch. Let's just cover knights. I mean, so the good thing is we have covered all these armies at least somewhat before. I mean, with knights, you guys have already said it, though. Like, dispatch is really strong, the developing potential, all the other things, too. Let's let's talk for a moment. Let's say you throw Alistair in the mix, too. Because I don't think we have to talk about the other options beyond Alistair, really. Um, I think I think Alistair is pretty solid, though. The, the double tap for five dice is really, really solid. But... I mean, in general, you're probably better off with the extra squad of knights unless starting yeah. zones. Yeah, that was, I would say that's the one thing I've learned in my uh, 10 years or 15 years or however old I am of competitive play is like X number of years ago, I would have said Alistair is better than another squad of knights. Now I would say another squad of knights is better. Just it gives you more survivability. You do definitely have to play Gilbert way different than you do if you're like, have a lower number squad number and you're using Alistair, but I like, I, I myself would pick another squad of Knights over Alistair. If my goal was to win, I would do that every time. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's just a start zone thing at this point, right? Because like start zones are trending down. So if I have 16 spaces, but let's say 500 points or something, I'm probably taking Alistair in that situation. If I, he's like, I hit four Knights and then it's like, well, fifth squad of Knights does literally nothing for me at this point. So that's the one thing, though, with with that. Um, I mean, I think we, we've talked about, like, Alistair before. He's, he's He doesn't fundamentally really change how the Knights play, I don't think. Like, like Gilbert fundamentally makes the Knights so much better. Like, your army should not be starting with anything other than Gilbert unless you're doing something silly with, like, Thorgrim, Krav, or Finn, Krav. So, but but that's not that's not the conversation for today. Yeah, I mean, so that's, that's Knights, so, like, I guess let's talk matchups for a second. So you have knights into weight and fire. Ken, thoughts on that? Are uh, you talking Gilbert knights? Of course, yeah. Okay. And to back up a little bit, a lot of people when they're playing knights and Gilbert, I don't know a lot of people. Maybe just maybe it's just some people. They'll get Gilbert up in the action early and start boxing with him because three attack is good, six life is good, plus his uh his attack enhance bonus, which is amazing. So they'll throw him up, but really, I think the better way to use him most of the time, obviously, some things are, you know, everything's mapped, matchup dependent, obviously. But as a general rule, the best way to use him is to continue, you know, use him more as a commander, continuing filtering those knights up farther so that, like, the fourth master you're fighting against just keep getting pissed because every time they kill a knight, there's another one there to replace him. And that's really how you wear down those ranged units is like, holy crap, didn't I just kill six knights? There's eight more right here in front of me. That's because Gilbert's dispatching them up from the back as the, the, the ones in front are engaging the fourth mass and fighting them. He's continually funneling up more and more from the back so that like you really your back line is also your front line. And that's so hard to understand. But really, that's what you need to do to be able to win against fourth mass. You know, I mean, initiative switch is obviously a big deal. I don't think that's new anymore. Back in the day, that used to be kind of new. But like, if for those of you, uh, for the two of you who don't know what initiative switch, Adam, this is for you. Initiative switch is when you l- lose initiative, so you go last on the third turn, and then you win initiative on the next turn, you go first. So you essentially, if you're using bonding melee, you know, you know, in, in the stars align, you can get ten attacks in, in a row. 
that's initiative switch. And that's when you can you can engage the fourth mass, knock him down off the hill, get your guys back up on the hill. So by the time they take another turn, they're actually shooting up to your guys on the hill, which before they were shooting down from your guys on the hill or, or on even ground, depending on everything. So I think the mat, you know, I think making sure your front line is your back line and vice versa and initiative switch is huge. Then obviously if there's a move glyph, go get the freaking move glyph because you really need the move glyph in those situations. And in all honesty, defense glyph helps too. I mean, obviously good maps, like you've got a jungle map, you've got a shadow map. Um, you're hugging those bonuses, everything you can, you know, baiting people out if you can. But most good players don't fall for bait, but some of them still do. You know, you're sending down a, a, a knight to get killed because you really want them to jump down. And like with Braxis, you always put a knight way there for Braxis to come get so you can swarm him on the next turn and just knock the crap out of her. But I mean, that's generally, you know, how you how you battle the fourth mass. Like it's a it's a huge battle of attrition. You have a better stat line and you'll win that battle of attrition if you play it right. And the way you play it right is just making sure you have a dude there to replace the one that just died. So two things um, that um, follow up. I, I completely agree with your point about Gilbert not running him up. The attack aura is extremely tempting, and, and there is a time to use that. But if you're overzealous and lose him, it just can be pretty crippling for your army. And um, you said the um, end that you'll win the war of attrition if you play it right. So do you think... Knights beat fourth mass, so like six, let's say six fourth mass versus like your all melee, your best uh, knight build during if you I, want to win. I would say I, I would say knights beat fourth mass at least sixty percent of the time if played correctly. Interesting. I would say knights beat tenth regiment probably about forty percent of the time if played correctly. I think tenth regiment are far superior than the fourth mass against melee specific against bonding melee. I always have, I know, like I have for years and back in the day, they used to debate this and people always said I was wrong. But like from my perspective, because I don't know if you guys know, but I actually have power rankings out now. And uh, I think the 10th are like A plus in my power rankings. You guys should all see them. I know the chain fighters need to move up. I'm working on that. But yeah, I, I think the Knights can beat the fourth mass most of the time, Nathan, to answer your question. Yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I really have much more to add to that. So let's talk, I guess, Knights. So we, we, Talked into weight than fire, right? So probably like 60-40. I, I man, I'm closer to 65-35 probably for knights on the fourth. Like I feel like I feel like knights pretty pretty darn good into fourth. 40-60 for into tenth. I somewhere around there for sure because tenth are tenth are good. And let's talk about range plus screen now. So like let's talk about knights into specifically knights into. First, let's do like stingers, rats. So like, I don't know. Uh, Ninety ten nights every time. Even with rats. Yes. Okay. Um. Cool. I mean, three attacks per order marker with stingers isn't great. Obviously, I I don't think it's quite that good. But I think I don't know. I don't think it's quite that good. But let's move on to the next matchup, I guess. So like, we got Q nine rats. What do you What do you think of that one, Ken? I would say Knights win that probably 60 to 70% of the time. Because the thing about Q9, right, if he's attacking you for one attack of eight, who gives a crap? So in order for him to attack you at Quiglix at range six, he's at range six. That gives you a lot of options, especially with dispatch. He's got you tight. I mean, I mean, back in the day, this is how I used to beat beat the crap out of people. Like, they think that they had me locked down with, with rats. 
Then Jandar dispatches those knights away from those rats. And sometimes I got a disengagement hit. Sometimes I didn't. But I didn't waste my turn. And then all of a sudden, those guys are on Q9. I don't know. I, I don't think it's that big a deal. I, di I, I disengage a lot more than anybody else does. Well, that's probably not true. I can't say that for everybody. But I do disengage a lot more than most people think they should. It would be my – well, I don't know if I can say that. I disengage a lot. Let's just say that. Um, well, you say that. You disengage a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not afraid – I'm not afraid to disengage. Um, As you should and, be. Right. And, and rats are the unit I will disengage from the most out of anybody because if you stay there and fight the rats, you're going to lose as a general rule. So just do something about it. Yeah. And I'll, I guess I'll throw it out there for anybody following along at home. If they want to, if they want to see sample armies for this stuff, I put together a gauntlet. Um, if you go to competitive armies and the first thread right now is I, the cheese gauntlet, basically just a bunch of really strong armies in the major archetypes. So we're just going to run through those right now for matchups. And yeah. So like, so for example, like for rats, you can look at the three rats, Q9, Raylan, Hydra at 500, which is pretty insane. Ken, don't you think Hydra makes that a little, a little worse? A little worse for the Knights. Yeah, I say it makes it trickier. I would say it would depend on. Yeah, it does make it trickier. Because the Hydra is Hydra is a huge pain until you get one or two wounds on it. And with rats, but, but well, and the good news, but the but the good news about the Hydra from the Knights is once you engage it once, it's not going to leave because it's it's scared to death of coward's reward. Yeah, it's a lot trickier than I would say. I would say that one could be closer to uh, sixty forty. Maybe even 50-50. It just it depends on really how good the player is. Like I could see Adam piloting that, even though I don't want to say it pretty well. But once again, I think I'm still disengaging and trying to get a couple wounds on the Hydra, right? You just you just have to pick and choose because he's either putting order markers on a Hydra or he's putting order markers on Q9, right? So you just have to try and read his order markers and decide what you need to slow down. It's a lot easier to slow down the Hydra than Q9 though, because Q9 is fully functional until he's dead. Mm-hmm. And I would also say another resource. If you haven't seen it, it's Jet Six Cookie Cutter Armies. He goes through Tier One, Tier Two, and Tier Three, and that's another. It's a pretty old thread, probably 2009 or 10, but it's a pretty incredible resource. That's pretty much what I did when I first got on Heroescapers. I just read that, and then like a couple of others of thread. They're really great resources, and it really goes through a lot of it's prehistoric. So we talk about how heavies were not considered quite as good or knights back in the day, and it does go through a lot of old armies they have a lot of what ken used to play back in like 2008 2009 what he dubbed it was ken knight of westons which is kind of just a testament to how much he played and how much ken pushed the meta for those figures yeah i'll i'll definitely go ahead and link that in the description um it's a great resource it's definitely outdated especially like some of the tiers and stuff but overall it's a it's worth reading for anybody and really like nathan and i were talking about this the other day like jexic really wrote the book on competitive skate back in the day like he was the only one really writing all this stuff between that and some of his other stuff we're actually going to be talking about in more depth later for example like his what's in an order marker article that's definitely worth a read so that's like the rats q9 i mean i i don't really want to talk about the bonding melee and the bonding melee stuff at least for now, let's first cover the other bonding melees first. The last one would just be green scales and Ilf, but I can tell you right now, like, knights kill that matchup. That's really rough for Nilfheim. Nilfheim is good at killing stuff that can die, and knights don't die. So, yeah, that's that's a that's a real bad matchup for Greenies and Ilf. Oh, I guess the last one is Gladys Blast. Ken, 
Ken, how do you like the Gladden Blast matchup with Knights? That's bad, man. I would say with Knights, that's bad. I would say the Knights maybe if you're oh man, I don't even know if they can hit forty percent. I think you're looking at thirty seventy. Like I don't like it's yeah. I yeah, I don't want to talk about it anymore than that. Yeah. That brings back some memories of me getting smoked by spider. <laughs> Let's move on to uh heavies then. So like heavies are definitely a different army, like like heavies definitely play quite a bit differently than knights, which is cool. In so far as you're really, really needing your bonding heroes to do more during the actual game than Gilbert. So like Ken just talked about how you can attrition up the knights and you can just um just dispatch them up. You just just keep slamming them into them with four defense, three attack, great stats. They don't die. They become pretty mobile with dispatch. And heavies are kind of the opposite of that because if heavies not backed by people are only three defense, which isn't bad, but it's just not great. So really, when you look at any competitive heavy build, it's going to start with Grimnak, Nirak. At lower point totals, you can not bring Nirak, but like, for example, at 450, you're always going to start with four heavies, Grimnak, Nirak. Like, that's just completely optimized. It's, it's insane. Very powerful. And what what heavies gain is flexibility, especially with screens. Like, like the green skills matchup for heavies is a joke. That's not really – it's not really winnable for green skills. Like, I mean, technically, sure, it's winnable, but that's just a real bad matchup for them. And same with, like, Q9 Rats gets even – gets – really really easy for heavies because you have disengage you have chomp so it's like oh this one guy's blocking my way i'll chomp him and then i can slide through then you have like i i think where heavies struggle is your reliance on the bonding heroes for offensive output for defense for example like you really when you're playing heavies you're really looking to maximize really grimnax buff more than his chomp so for example when i'm playing grimnak what i'm doing is i'm moving him next to one figure and chomping them like you should pretty much never be multi-engaging grimnak you should never really be attacking with grimnak you should move up next to one squatty chomp and that's it and then you want to leverage his stat buffs to the heavies next to him so that they become like four four which is really strong you should always have nirak up there so that now those heavies next to grimnak are four five and grimnak's five defense with five life so Grimnak just says, I kill something every turn. I'm buffing those heavies. The heavies now are rolling four attack dice when they're next to him. You should be able to at least double buff. Like, you, not double buff. You should at least be able to buff two heavies at a time offensively, usually. Just based, especially against these, like, screen armies and these these cheese, bread and butter range. Like, gazillion fourth mass, gazillion stingers, like that type of thing. You can easily buff stuff you can also slam into heroes like a q9 so like once you break through that screen now your heavies are throwing four dice on the q9 it's really bad for q9 same with nilfine heavies are just really really solid but where where they suffer is like for example if if they run up and snipe off nirak really early in the game they get like lucky or whatever um and nirak just dies you all of a sudden you're not as defensive which means once nirak's dead like grimnak's going to be easier to take hits and you have to you have to really play around that. You have to really try to make sure that you're not just going to lose your heroes. You have to really be cognizant of where you put them, especially against other bonding melee has been my experience is like if I put myself in a position where I let my opponent like get height on Grimnak or Nirak or I let them get surrounded. 
they're just going to die. I, I had a game where I had dwarves into heavies and my opponent let me surround his Grimnak with four dwarves, three of them on height. So that's four, three attacks down with five and one attack even with four. On his four defense, Nirak wasn't in range. So like, you can't do that. Um, you gotta, you gotta be very cognizant of your placements. You gotta use tethers with your heavies, especially. So tethering is the concept of you throw one guy out there just to tie people up. That way they can't get to Grunak. So you have to be really, really cognizant of using, using tethers to protect your heroes, not let them get surrounded, protect them from whatever. Also, just like stingers are a little tougher. They're still not a bad matchup for heavies by any stretch of the imagination, but they're they're a little tougher just in the fact that variance matters more to heavies. So like if the singer like if a stinger player doesn't know what they're doing, they drain and then they like four for four three times, like I, I could just lose Grimnack there. Also in that game does get a bit tougher. It's still not like a tough game because I'm getting four activations of the turn to his three. But if he has a screen with like rats, like that could be that could be a not great game for me at that point. You know, Ken, Ken, what's your thought on that? Like, I know you think heavies have a great matchup still into singers. I don't think it's quite as good as you. I don't think I still think it's good. But well, in the backup, even before that, I think one of the bigger one of the biggest differences between heavies and knights is the heavies tend to group up and the knights don't really even care. Mm. Um, if they're grouped up or not. Like, I mean, they want to be within eight spaces of Gilbert or whatever. But, like, as a general rule, like, the heavies, you got Nirak, who um, is actually kind of cheating because he's a double-spaced figure, so his range actually extends one more. But you've got Nirak and you've got Grimnak that you're always trying to get those bonus. You, you almost would, you know, like, in, like, the nice we always talk about, like, you want to extend the movement as far as you can, obviously, without being in a bad position. But, like, sometimes the heavies, you just want to put them next to Grimnak. So, like, you may not use your full, full movement because you just want that extra defense because, you know, you're getting shot at by fourth mass or whatever. So you're like, well, he could move here, and then maybe maybe it's a slightly better engagement for the next turn, or you can move here and get the extra defense. So sometimes you got to make those choices. That's obviously matchup dependent. I still think I still think heavies can can take stingers pretty easily because even with rats, they have disengaged. So, like, like that, like, you know, the heavies are way sneakier than the knights. The knights are like, dude, just sit here and fight me like a man. I've got coward's reward. You're not going anywhere. And the heavies are like, I'm just going to go around you and go fight the guy I want to really fight. I mean, obviously, when Grimnak bites a hole in the wall and you run in, it's way easier. But I still think, yeah, I still think the heavies win that pretty, pretty easily. What do you, uh, Nathan, I know you're a little bit more ranged. You love range a little bit more than both of us. But I still think the heavies win that against Stingers pretty easily. What do you think, Nathan? Well, I would say pretty much everybody loves range more than you two. You guys are probably two of the hardcore melee people, period. I think heavies do pretty well against stingers. They, they, I think they win the matchup. But I think you had a really great point about how knights can spread out more and heavies can't. They really have to bunch. And a lot of it is just the magic of the knights have the fourth defense base. Heavies can easily get up with Nirak and Grimmack up to five defense. But, you know, you're pretty clumped up. So the battles, let's say, on like the left side... If you're a knight player, you might be able to just run a knight up to the other side and, like, grab a glyph because he's at four defense. He might survive for a while. But it's a lot more risky doing that for a heavy. He might not last very long. So you really – so getting out of that aura is a little – I mean, there's obviously a time and place for it. But if I'm sitting in a knight just on height somewhere, five defense, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And usually your opponent doesn't even want to go after them because – it might not even be worth the attack and they have more pressing issues. 
I agree with that, but I still don't think it's that big of a deal to just run. I, I definitely run heavies out of the auras. I mean, it's not all the time, but like for a glyph for sure. Like if if they're gonna, my my way of looking at it is like I'm already getting my attacks and activations per order markers is already so great. Like I'm getting five, I'm getting a kill and four attacks per order marker already. So like I can just lose one of those, which puts me maybe at par with what they're doing. Or if it's against like stingers, I'm still above them for what they're doing. And then if they spend time to run over there and kill that one heavy, I took, I sent over to claim that glyph. I'm happy with that. Right. Like I, I, I don't care that much about individual heavies because like at the end of the day, the main offense of that army, for me at least, comes with really with that chomp is just insane. There's no roll, you just get the kill. You get a lot of offense out of the heavies too. So maybe main isn't the correct word for that, but like if I get the chomp and two kills with the heavies every turn, like I'm gonna win that game. So like I I agree with you, but at the same time, I don't think the singers matchup is quite as easy as it is with knights. Even even with disengage, I don't I, I like people can position themselves into good spots to where that's harder than the Knights matchup for his heavies. All right, I'll do I'll do eighty eight twelve instead of ninety ten. And definitely, Mike, just let me um also reiterate about that. When I was saying not, it's it's relative to the Knights. They're not because I think it's um they're they're very similar and finding finding having people understand the, the subtle differences between the two is. It's pretty nice. Well, obviously, disengage and gender pitch are more than just subtle differences. So, obviously, going out of the aura, you probably have 16 or 20 of them. They're still base three defense. It's still fine, but not quite to the level of the knights. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. I just don't think you'll ever run into a situation where you won't still do it, I guess, is my point, right? Situationals. I mean, that's uh, that's a kind of a cop-out answer because it's so... But, you know, here's the game is so situational. But I, I agree that usually... I don't want to get too in the weeds. This is a little like too theoretical and kind of very like specific matchups that we kind of we need over the board and stuff. But I think we're up, we're both pretty close to the same page. Yeah, definitely. I I mean I I I go as far to say like pretty much ninety nine percent of the time you're still willing to just do that. Like if if it's really an important enough thing rather than just like oh it'd be nice for me to be here rather than here. Like obviously you're not gonna do that with a heavy. You're not just gonna be like oh it'd be a little nicer for me to be here instead of here. You're better off then with the buffs and especially the the double buff is the double defense buff is where it's at. Like that five defense is really insane. Um, and it's really easy to get, especially against range too. Like if you're on a board with shadow with jungle like either one of those and now you've got grimnak next to it you're in Nirag. now you're rolling six defense dice like they just they just basically your opponent will usually just kind of say why bother which is just a great feeling and then i honestly i haven't played the glad's blast matchup which i know seems crazy but like i think it's probably still bad ken i'm sure you've played it oh yeah uh, ask spider about that game my first year at Gen Con, he was my first round opponent on day two, and he had Glad's Blast, and I had my orcs, and everybody was like, holy crap, he's going to get knocked out first round, and I had the jungle, I had Raylan, I had Nirak, I had Grimnak, so like, he didn't know who to shoot, and so and every time he set up he set up a, a, a one Glad, one bla- a Glad, I would just chomp him, so um, I actually won that fairly easily. Um, and it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So, like, ever since that game, I've always thought that the Trons aren't near as good against the Orcs as we used to think they were. I, I can oh, very interesting. Chomp. Yeah, I can see Chomp being really strong against that. Chomp is so. super strong, especially if you got that defensive 
I mean, unless, you know, unless he's just going to take those little shots with, uh, the, I mean, the, the bad news is there's still range seven with two attack if they're on height, right? So that was, I think, once he kind of figured that out, though, like, he was down to almost no glad. So, like, I, I so I was able to approach the hill with my my guys and just kind of overrun him. But, like, like I think the Tron has to be a really good player to make that easy for them because I think, like, Grimnak plus all of the defense bonuses really change that. Because, and then, like, you can position Grimnak so they can't get, like, more than one Tron on him at a time. Because you can surround him with heavies or whatever, so it makes it really. So he's only shooting down at Grimnak like maybe one for three, and Grimnak can Grimnak doesn't have to be Cyberclawed, and neither does Nirak, and Nirak can disengage as well. So like you can even throw Nirak up there if you got a shot, because with eight movement you can go and great gauge like four Blastatrons, right? And that might be the turn, like you know we talk about like initiative switch. That might be the turn you need to get every, you know for Grimnak to bite a hole and for the for the heavies to funnel through. So, like, it, it's it's not near, like, I used to thought it was super one-sided until I played that game. And I'm like, holy crap, this is actually super winnable. But in all honesty, that's the only Tron game I've ever played with with uh, heavies. But it was, like, against the best player in the world at the time. So, Yeah, I'm pretty surprised by that result. You talked a lot he was targeting Grimnak. I mean, do you think it would be different if he just targeted the heavies? Because I mean, they're 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 the four attacks per order marker. They can eat through them pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So he would he would shoot one heavy with his one Tron that came over, but then I would just chomp his Tron. Why didn't he come up with more Trons at a time? Like because you can only chomp one. Because and I had your... go for it. It would it would because I had I had a wall, so he can't really engage more than one, and I was literally blocking with eight seven to eight defense dice on all my guys. Because also. Also, they, had Ray, they had Raylan, they had Nirak, they had Grimnak, and they had a jungle. Yeah, but what if what if they don't have Raylan? Is my next question, right? Uh, that seems like that seems like almost a perfect storm of stuff. The fact that he can't engage with more than one at a time. He's like in most maps now, like he would definitely be able to engage with the squad at a time. What was it? Was I think it was Invasion by Long Hero Scaper. No, oh. oh, that map. So Mike does. Okay, that that makes sense. I could see that. I mean, one of the things you said is like you can run around with Nirak because they're not cyberclawed and engage a bunch of blasts. But for me, I don't think that's a great strategy because if he's got a lot of blasts and you engage four of them, even if you kill one, he's engaged to three. And then the blast, you know, they they self-synergize. So right, you're, you're you're just more buying a turn there, Nathan. You're just buying a turn. You're tying okay. those guys. You're tying those guys up, and that way you're hoping that Grimnak makes a hole in the front, and then you funnel out to tie up a bunch more other blasts. If that makes sense. Yeah, I just think with the four attacks per order marker, like Grimnak, these three turns, I'll shoot at Nirak a little bit because if you're taking a turn with Nirak, you're not chomping. So I'll I'll shoot at Nirak and I'll try to thin heavies at the same time. And if you're engaged, to let the three of them, you get the kill too. You height. I mean, you're sitting at four attack on three, three life. I don't think that's going to last long, and I feel like I have the attack for order markers to kill Mirak and also take the heavies. And I, I think me taking three, four, five turns to kill Nirak while I'm not focused on the heavy, I think that's worth it because Nirak mm-hmm. is dead just long term. I don't know. I think uh, I think a lot of arm. I think the meta is pretty unex like more unexplored than people think. Like I feel like. The last year, that not to digress too much, but the last year Doc won the main event. It's kind of one of the standards. It was uh, three rats, Raylan, Hydra, Junaim. But we didn't really see that play often, and I think there's only so many players who are playing the top armies at the highest level. And since there's so much variation of glyphs and maps, 
I think a lot of we we there's still more to be seen from how the top armies shake out even you know sixteen games of the yeah, and I could be misremembering things too, but like I'm sure somebody wrote something about it somewhere somehow. But this, but this was years ago. This was you know back when you guys before you guys were born. But yeah, I mean I'm sure it's there. I'm sure there's a battle report somewhere on it on Heroescapers.com. But it was just super interesting. It really changed my thought process on how well heavies can actually do against Trons, all because of Grimnax Chomp. But, yeah, I mean, and you guys could absolutely be right as well. I just remember that. Like I said, I had that one sample size. So so we're talking about how good Chomp is. What's better, Chomp or Jandor's Dispatch? Chomp. Hmm. Interesting. The quick answer, then the think, and then the hmm. I don't – see, here, here's the deal. I don't think. I'm here to just fire in. Listen, I, that's my take, and now I don't know if it's right, but we're, we're sticking with it. Guns are a-blazing. This is my hill. Interesting. I have to think about that. All right, and I have another one then. What's more important for Nirak? Um, protecting, like, is it protecting heavy or is it for Grimnak? Grimnak. Yeah, I'd agree with that one. Yeah, that was less difficult. Much less difficult, yeah. Five defense, Grimnak with five life. Huge, huge over the four defense, five life. I don't think either Nathan or I are saying you're wrong necessarily, Ken. We're both just kind of saying, like, it seems like an unexplored matchup where, like, again, I haven't played the matchup, so I 100% don't know. You've played it once, um, and then I don't know if Nathan's played it. Uh, I don't recall. I mean, the thing is, nobody plays Glad's Blast now. Yeah. Well, the 24 hexes, but even before, it seemed like um, Lone Wolf and Spider were really the only two people pushing it because... I think, as I personally think, maybe if it's from a range person, that it's um, it's a lot to optimize. It's not, it's not an easy arm to play, and so there's just a lot of people don't play it correctly. So who knows? Right. I'm in on that. That's pretty much heavies there. Um, I also think they're not. Uh, they have. I think they're a little weaker into fourth mass as well compared to the knights. But I still think they're fine into fourth mass, and then. Um, I really don't think I don't think tenth are that bad. Um, I know Ken has a lot of nightmares about tenth, but I've never found tenth all that problematic. At least, like not significantly more than fourth with with heavies. I'm not really sure why that is. Maybe it's just the people I've played, or like there there are so many factors, right? Maybe it's how I played. Maybe maybe it's how the people I played against played. Um, I just I just feel like heavies have such good offensive output, you know? Ken, what what do you think about that, like about 4th mass and 10th versus heavies? I think the matchup goes slightly more in the favor of the 4th mass than it does against the Knights. I still think the heavies can win it a majority of the time, but it might be like 60, 55, 60, 40, or 55, 45, 60, 40, or whatever. I don't know, man. I think, like, so most of my losses at 10th Regiment are to Man Train Choo Choo, and I feel like he just brings 10th Regiment because he knows I'm going to be there. And he's a really good player. Oh, and, and Delivery Man. I used to play with him, but he, he used to have, like, just vicious bit. Like, he knew I was coming to a tournament, so he'd run Raylan, Marcus, and 10th Regiment. And I would just, like, hire therapists after the games and stuff. But, like, I, yeah, so, like, I probably have a skewed view of 10th Regiment that I just think that they're ridiculous and kill melee all the time. So it's interesting for me to hear that, like, you're like, 
I don't think they're as bad as you think they are. So maybe I've just got two players that like purposely played them because they know I'm coming. I don't know. Well, and one is one is Mantrain. Yeah. Like like he's pretty good. So yeah, I mean again, I'm not saying you're wrong. I I haven't played it's been so long since we've had just like twenty four hex bring the cheese at Gen Con that I wasn't nearly as good and the people I was playing against weren't nearly as good back then, you know, back he's like like, I remember, like, beating Veggie or, like, beating whoever w- who was playing 10th Regiment when I had heavies. And at the same time, it was, like, it was 2012. It was the first year for me, first year for Veggie. So it's, like, we don't really know what's up back then. Like, we weren't that good. So I don't know. It's it's tough to really, really know and really have gauges. Like, nobody really plays this stuff at this point. Um, but, I mean, I think that's enough on heavies at this point. So let's go on to Dwarves. And I also, I think we're going to cut it after Dwarves, just because we're already at an hour 20. So I think let's do Dwarves, which is the final of the big three, and then we'll save, like, Romans and Death Chasers for a later date. You guys, I think at least Ken's played Dwarves more than me. Any big thoughts on Dwarves? Like, I know, for example, at 500, you definitely don't want to play the Classic, which is, like, the three squads with the three heroes. Like, you're almost always better off with another squad over Miggle and like four, four squads dwarves seems kind of minimum to me. Yeah, what's crazy is Miggle's actually, or Michael, however you say his name, is actually a good unit, but like the other two dwarves are just so much better. The, the heroes I'm talking about. So you, he just, you know, he's got the Scotty Pippen syndrome or whatever. No, I think the dwarves are like, so I don't know. The sixth move is just crazy to me. Like a melee unit at what, 17 and a half points per unit. That has the ability to move six when it needs to. And, like, the fact that, like, you can, like, like it's not like, uh, you know, green scales, you pick the dragon ahead of time. It's not like before you start the game, you have to decide, like, okay, um, I'm going to bond with this guy so I can only move four. So, like, you can pick every turn what you want to do. Like, like, and you guys talk about this. Is it more important to develop up my hero and only move four? Or do I need to run and go do something and do six and forget about my hero? Um, so it really, in a, so it also makes like, um, I think you like your forethought with dwarves is a lot, is a lot more interesting because once again, with, with, with d- dispatch, like you have an idea of what you want to do, but you don't really know until you roll those dice. Right. So like, you don't really know what you want to do with those dice, but like with dwarves, like you're able to react so much better, I think because of, you know, six move versus four move. And then once again, like you throw the, I think the glyph for the dwarves is even more important than the other melee units because eight move is just overcomes everything as a general and then and then also like when you're fighting against you know like niffleheim and q9 and that's about it right those are the two major big figures that you really see anymore but like the dwarves are like yes please because they're four four against that they they love that stuff and then you got you can get six attack with Derek for 60 points which is ridiculous I mean, granted, his his defensive stats aren't great minus the height and shadows, which is actually really good. And then Mogram with tough, like if you if you're not fighting against, which is which is kind of odd because he's actually not good against Nilfheim and Q9. But if you're fighting against like a you know like a other melee squad, they're just they just pound on him forever with his two defense dice and tough. So and and then the occasional commander strike, you're like, oh sweet, I just got an auto wound on somebody. I don't know. I think dwarves, once again, are like the knights. They don't have to stick together like the heavies do. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think dwarves are so more, are so, they're even more versatile than the knights because of their movement. 
because their stat movement and like they're not necessarily dependent. Like they don't need to be within eight spaces of their hero for to be dispatched. So like you could run a dwarf up to go, you know, send a dwarf on a mission, and then he can decide if he's got to move four or six later. He doesn't have to wait to see what Gilbert rolls. I don't know. I, I just think that like they have a lot more utility than some. Then I don't say a lot more utility, but they have they have a lot of utility than the the knights and the heavies. And I and I really think like they have actually three super solid heroes to choose from, and two of their heroes like Derek and Mogram are both phenomenal for their points. So I don't know. I feel like I've just been talking about them for a long time. So I'll let you guys jump in. But I I, I just think that like. You know, like, I know you guys kind of put the heavies and knights one tier and then the doors below them. Like, to me, that they're all the same. And it's not, like, a close all the same. Like, they're just easily all the same. All three of them are just as, you know, just as solid as the other. Sure, the knights probably slightly better than the heavies, which are slightly better than the doors. But, like, the slight, the slightness, like, on a scale of 1 to 10 is maybe, like, 0. 0.1. Like, I, I don't think it's, like, I don't think it's um near as far apart as a lot of other people think think they are but anyway for for me it would be more the fact that i think there's a bigger gap between not to say that mogrim and Derek aren't aren't good because they are but i think there's a bigger gap between grimnak and gilbert versus like mogrim for example yeah but i think like so the heavies are way i think the heavies are way more dependent on those units than the dwarves are dependent on their heroes Oh, for sure. There's there's no doubt, but I still think that like the value Grimnak gets you over the course of a game is so high, and the value that Gilbert gets you over the course of the game is ridiculously high. So like you take both of those two, and then you compare it to Mogram, and it's kind of like he could like sure he's solid, he's he's good, but he's he's not a great bonding hero, I guess is what is kind of in my mind what holds them back a little bit. Wow, I, I, definitely, I, I definitely disagree with that. I think Mog, like I think Mog is a phenomenal bond hero, but he's up against Grimnag and Sir Gilbert, who are some of the best units in the game, period, and probably the best the best two bonding units. But Mogrim, I mean, the great part about him is tough is such a liability, but so many of the special packers you're gonna see, you know, fine Q9, Q10 are large and huge, so dwarves just cover their weaknesses to such a massive extent. And then the fact is that they're um, more self-sufficient without their bonding heroes, because yes. um, dwarves do not have an aura, but they the uh, knights and heavies do. So if you're playing, let's say, Stingers or Fourth, you can tie up a lot of those figures with Mogrim. He's got top, he's got six life, auto shield. He's going to last for a while against like range commons, and then but and then you can use your heavies or your dwarf to go in. But if you get unlucky and you lose Mogrim, then now now your dwarfs are all at six move now. I think another thing is um, your opponent always has to space for six moves. There's always that possibility, so they can't go six spaces away. They have to go seven spaces away. So they they you push them back just passively. They have a passive menacer. So they space farther, they give you more room, and then you get to choose if you want to bond or not. So I don't, I think there's more of a gap tonight and heavies than Ken does, but I definitely think that dwarfs are kind of worthy in that. And the fact that um, their hero is not quite reliable on, you can kind of take that and use it as a benefit. But I agree with Mike also that he's not, he's, Mogram's amazing, 
Derek's good too, but there's not quite to Gilbert level or Grimneck level. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. But the other thing is like, you could run five squads of doors for 350 points and still have an amazing army. Like you don't need Derek or, or, or Mogrim. I mean, granted, I'm not sure why you wouldn't run them, but still like you could still run five squads of doors for 350 points and still have like, you know, a, a tier one army to be able to take on most matchups pretty easily. And like the Knights can't do that. The heavies can't do that. So I think like you guys, like we've said already a couple of times, but like they're not near as dependent on, well, they're not, they're not near, they're not dependent on the hero at all. You know, the yeah, only reason, good. the only reason to use their heroes, cause you want five attacks per turn. Right. But so you're saying that as like, it's, just an upside see to me that's an upside but it's also a downside right like you're 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 not getting a great fifth activation is kind of my point right like you're not moving up another four doors with that extra turn the bonding like with with knights it's really i have four knights moving four and then i have so much flexibility through dispatch and that's a huge upside even if there is a slight aura um, and then with like with heavies, you're getting such a great activation there with guilt with the Grimnack. And that's not to say that Mogram doesn't have good activations like he clearly does. I just I don't think he's I don't think he's at their level, you know. And the other thing is, I don't like they can't get up to fourth to four defense. Like I, I and you can say height with the extra move, which I know is relevant. You can say jungle. But like, let's just assume just like I was in dieways where like I was in dieways is three levels that's it or four technically if you want to count the water um but like it, it's basically three levels and you're not going to have height a lot of times with dwarves on for example like a highways and dieways now they're only three defense i think that makes your 10th matchup significantly worse than the heavies or the knights because four defense is huge you know and even if even if heavies have to clump a little bit to get that i mean nirak is pretty generous with his four space aura and I don't. I really don't think Grimnax clumping is nearly as big of a deal as people think. I mean, I've, maybe it's just because I've played it so much, but like, I don't think it's that big of a deal to have to clump around him to get to five defense. But like, I compare that to dwarves with only three defense, and sure, they have a ton of move, and you can say, okay, I'll always just crash more dwarves in, and that that works. But like, if if I'm sacrificing. If I'm not bonding because I need to move more, it's kind of like where's the upside compared to the other two squads outside of specifically – like I, I don't even think dwarves do better into into Nilfheim than heavies do, right? Like I'd rather take heavies into that because Chomp just eats green scales for days, you know? Like like you just kill the green scales matchup with that, and like with Q9, I probably would still rather take – I would probably still rather take heavies. Like I, I guess that's the thing, right? For me, I just feel like they're – they're a little outshone by the other two options in that, like, if I was seriously, if I seriously wanted to win a tournament, I don't know why I would choose the dwarves over the other two. Like, does that make sense? Or like, is, is there a matchup I'm forgetting about? Or do you disagree on those? Or So I, I think, so you're right. The survivability of the other two units is higher, but I, I would say the flexibility in terms of mobility is higher with the dwarves. Over Gilbert with knights? Uh, the consistency, yes. Okay. Because, because 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 remember Gilbert, he he's sweet at range of eight. The dwarves, there's no range involved. Mm-hmm. Man, that's an eight range circle though. Like that's that's huge. It is huge, but at the same, but it's not all encompassing. So the dwarves don't need that. Yeah, I mean, I think the bigger thing, the bigger limitation for Gilbert, more than the range, I think is line of sight blockers. That that usually gets me more than the range. Like, I mean, if I'm if I'm on a map that 
does not have ridiculous line of sight blockers. And I left a night in my start zone with more than eight things away from my Gilbert, then I didn't play it right. And that's on me. And I could probably go back and play correctly and not have that situation come. But I'm kind of with Mike, especially with Highways and Dives examples. I've heard that no fourth defense dice just, just really is the separating factor. I mean, you get it versus large and huge, but I mean, it's a, it's a really it's a huge hindrance, especially when you work with other melee bonding versus range common. I think if you want to talk about a matchup where they do good, I think they do really well versus Hydras. I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory. So, like a Hydra Q9 build, maybe. But then, then there's usually um, rats, and they deal with rats worse than knights or heavy, so it's kind of a give and take. Yeah, I'm not saying, I, but for the record, I, I still think the knights and heavies are both better than them. I'm just saying, whoa, did Nathan disappear? I'm just saying, haha, Nathan, that's what you get for talking smack about my doors. So, um, so I still do think that they're they're both superior, but I just think that like it's not like as clear as other people think it is. Like, like you don't think the gap is the size that other people think it is? No, not even close. Right. Like, like I think they outshine green scales ridiculous by ridiculous amounts. Um, but a lot of people think green scales are better than dwarves. So well, I'm with you on dwarves better than green scales, but at the same time, I feel like those are like, that'd be like comparing rats Q9 to like heavies. Like it's just two separate builds. Like archetypes are completely different there. Right. Like, like, like green scales, nilf doesn't play anything like dwarves, you know? Well, if you're playing it that way, you're playing it wrong. So if they do play similar, so Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. so it's hard to compare things that are that dissimilar. Yeah, yeah I guess melee bonding is all I think. But I, again, I I've, I don't really see them as melee bonding so much as just kind of like a bonding screen almost. Like, like if I have Nilfheim man, like I can probably just ice shard you to get death. Yeah, it's, it's almost, it's all, they're almost more like Trons in that aspect. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's um, a good and, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was I was talking to Nathan about that earlier about because he asked me like whether or not we were going to talk about green skills today and that was kind of my my thing was like I it, it's better in the range plus screen. Yeah. So Nathan, I was just saying just to be clear that like I do still think heavies and dwarves are or heavies and dwarves heavies and knights are better than dwarves. I just think the gap's a lot closer than most people think. Say. I mean, you got the experience and you got the um, you know, you got the results to kind of back up that opinion. Because they're 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 pretty scary, and I think they are pretty underrated historically. I think part of it they came out so late in the cycle, but they might be a little less explored than some of the other squads because they came out a little earlier. I, I, I can see, I can definitely see the argument for A. I definitely have, I've definitely considered it. I still, am considering it. All right, so that that wraps us up for today's conversation on bonding melee. The general sense of the archetype and we only got to the first three armies today which were the knights heavies and dwarves we're going to cover the romans and death chasers at a later date thank you all so much for listening and happy skating